Let us pray. Speak, O Lord, for your servants listen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. This is a poem by Cynthia Fuller, who lives in the Northeast. It's called Instructions for the Desert. Going into the desert, there will be no distraction. The sun at its height will bleach and burn until you cannot see. And there is no cold like a desert night. You will know only darkness and rock, unyielding. You will long then for light. Early morning, with the risen sun at your back, will be the best time. The landscapes grey, dyed crimson, rocks split to reddening cracks. You will see the bones, bright white, stray scatterings as if the flesh had changed its mind, unhooked, discovering a different way. Do not think about the bones at night. Find pictures of rare desert blooms, soft contours, rock folded upon rock. Bones will remind you of fear, fierce birds circling. Remember, it is peace you come looking for. Bear truth in a place without compromise. Never try to make the rocks speak. The sky's smooth blue says nothing. When you know how alone you are, a voice will begin to sing through blood, through spirit, through bright white bone. Feels a lot like Ezekiel, that poem to me. Now there was a man named, a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Nicodemus was a Pharisee, and he came to Jesus by night. This is John's gospel. John paints pictures. It doesn't tell history. He loves creating images full of meaning for us to garden in. So when he says, there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus. This man came to Jesus by night. John is telling us of Nicodemus's state of mind. He's utterly in the dark as to what's going on. He may be coming by night so that nobody sees him as a Pharisee and one of the leaders of the Pharisees sneaking off to talk to this rabbi, but it's also more importantly, about his state of mind, as I say. We need a little bit of context here because Nicodemus, when he says, 
we know that God must be with you because no one could do these signs without you being with God. Jesus says, I say to you, unless one is born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, what kind of answer is that to Nicodemus's introduction saying, we know that you are of God? Jesus says, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. Where we are in this gospel is right at the beginning. We're in chapter 3 of John's gospel. You remember how John's gospel starts because we read it every Christmas day. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So we've got that proclamation right at the outset telling us Jesus is both God and man. Then we move straight from there in John's Gospel to John the Baptist. And John the Baptist proclaims that, behold, this is the Lamb of God come from God, the sacrificial Lamb. Okay, so John's first of all told us that he's the Word of God. Now he's told us that he's also the sacrificial Lamb of God. The next story John tells us about is the wedding feast at Cana of Galilee, which, if you remember, starts with this enigmatic sentence, on the third day. But it's not the third day from anything. It's the third day precisely because, once again, it's about pictures. It's about the resurrection. And the story turns ordinary water into wine at a wedding feast. And of course, that brings into mind all the Old Testament pictures of Israel being the bride of God. And here it is being fulfilled by Jesus, turning the ordinary water into wine. Now then, so Jesus is, is talking now, John is telling us that Jesus is bringing the kingdom of God. But the next thing that then happens in John's Gospel is the, clean, the cleansing of the temple. Now, in the other Gospels, the cleansing of the temple happens just in Passion Week, just before Jesus is crucified. It's one of the main reasons that the Pharisees get really upset with him and end up arresting him. We have Palm Sunday, the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. The feast of the Passover is going to happen later this week. And Jesus then goes into the temple and cleanses it. But John takes that episode and puts it right here at the beginning of his gospel in order to tell us something about Jesus' relationship with the temple. Because the temple, of course, is where you go to meet God. That's the point of it. And here, Jesus is coming into the temple and calling it a den of robbers and cleansing it, saying, this is my father's house. Who gives him the authority over everybody else in Jerusalem, including the high priest and all the priestly caste, to say that this is my house, my father's house, and drive everybody out? But he does. Do you see the picture that John is beginning to paint up here? So we're getting the picture that God is coming to us in Christ, that he is the sacrificial lamb, that he's here bringing the wedding feast of Israel, the promised wedding of God with his people. 
and that Jesus is cleansing everything out in order for everyone to meet God afresh. And here we are now with Nicodemus in the dark. Can you see why he's in the dark? He's utterly perplexed as a Pharisee as to what's going on. If Jesus has just cleansed the temple, what on earth is he about? So Nicodemus comes and he says, clearly God must be with you, but you're not a Pharisee and you're not a priest, so what's going on? And Jesus, into that conundrum, says, to see what's going on, you have to be born again. Well, Nicodemus decides to play the Pharisee's role. Take everything literally and try and make a puzzle out of it. So he says, can you be born again as an old man from your mother's womb? And Jesus says to him, do not marvel when I say you must be born again. For the wind blows where it will. And everyone who is born again must be born of water and the spirit. For you cannot enter the kingdom of God without that. Water and the spirit. Nicodemus has got a problem here. Because as far as he's concerned, to be a true heir of Abraham, a true inheritor of eternal life, you must be part of the Jewish people. And Jesus is here saying, actually, no, what you need is to be born of the spirit and water. Spirit and water. Water is this enigmatic substance in the Bible. Sometimes it's about life. A spring in the desert, rivers in the wilderness, the river of God. Out of him shall flow springs of living water. It's a source of life. Makes sense to us because we can't live without it. But water is also a symbol of death. The great flood of Noah, where the whole face of the earth was wiped out, apart from those who travelled in the ark, a symbol of the church, through death to new life. Crossing of the Red Sea, Israel escaping out of the slavery of death and darkness and Egypt across to the other side, while all the wickedness behind them got swallowed up in the Egyptians drowning. Crossing into the promised land from the Jordan, water has this symbol of death. And that's exactly what's going on in baptism. When we have our baptism services, that's what baptism is about. It's about dying and rising to new life again. But the spirit is always the source of life. So to be born again of water and the spirit means to die and to have new life. If we go back to Abraham and the reading that we had about Abraham, the very short passage that we had is the promise where Abraham is first hears from God about the promise to be a blessing to all the people of the world, to all the nations of the world. And after that promise, sometime later, comes the circumcision, which is a symbol of the promise. And then generations later, comes the giving of the law at Mount Sinai with Moses. After the whole Egypt debacle, 
so hundreds of years later. But for Judaism at this point in its history, in Jesus' time, to be a Jew meant to be not just circumcised, it meant to be obedient to the law as well. And if you weren't obedient to the law, then you weren't a proper Jew. But Paul, in his letter to the Romans, talks about the law, as it were, being the dining room inside the house that is the promise given to Abraham. So the house, which is the house of faith, is given to Abraham before any of this circumcision, before any of the law. It's the spirit that gives it. And Jesus is going back to beyond the law, not saying that the law's wrong, the law is, if you like, the dining room in which you live. He's going back to the entrance to the house and saying, this is how you come into the house, through faith, not through circumcision and obedience to the law. It's through faith. That's how you come in. And because it's of the Spirit, the Spirit blows where he wills. The Greek and the Hebrew, funnily enough, for spirit is exactly the same word as breath. In Greek, it's pneuma, from which we get pneumatic tires and all the rest of it. Pneuma, wind, breath, means spirit. And in Hebrew, it's ruach, which means breath or spirit. Do you see how they're interchangeable? You can't see it, but you know where the spirit is because new life springs up wherever it goes. So when Jesus speaks to Nicodemus, Nicodemus has lost the plot. And Jesus is saying, you need to go back, Nicodemus. You think you understand when you say, how can these things be? You don't understand your own faith, Nicodemus. How can you be a teacher when you don't even understand your own faith? But no, this is the Spirit of God. Brothers and sisters, we are in Lent at the moment. We are in the place of the desert, the place where the Spirit blows, where there is nothing but the wind. One of the wonderful things about Abraham was somehow he listened to the Spirit and he heard the Spirit give a promise. That same Spirit speaks to you and to me. And part of being in Lent is learning how to listen to that Spirit, to hear the voice of God speaking to each of you. And he will. We just need to learn how to listen. Amen.